Hello, I'm Andrew Skipper. This is The Aid Perspective, a series of podcasts looking at investment in Africa and the impact of COVID-19 on the continent. I've been having conversations with some of Africa's top business minds and investors, people who are deeply committed to building the continent. They're certainly pulling no punches about the problems, but they're also spotting enormous positive opportunities in the current situation. So today we turn to one of the continent's leading financiers to discuss the current and future position of the continent beyond COVID as the virus continues to attack the world and the African continent. Bamela Zubairu is the man at the helm of one of Africa's most celebrated institutions, the Africa Finance Corporation, Africa's leading infrastructure solutions provider. So Mela recently gave a keynote address at the Hogan Lovell's Africa Forum, and today I wanted to follow up with a discussion about the steps he and AFC are taking to secure his vision for future generations. This is especially good timing as the AFC has just launched its, its 150 million Swiss francs green bond, and after China took steps to declare new green targets only in the last week. So Samela, welcome to this discussion. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for having me. Uh, Samela, the year, of course, began a very long time ago, it now seems, in a mood of optimism for Africa. I remember personally sitting in the Africa Investment Summit in the UK as Boris Johnson confidently championed the UK as investor of choice for Africa. And we have had many proposals for investment on the continent from global sources, from Macron, Merkel, Russia, China, US and Japan. And of course, we had the Africa Continental Free Trade Agreement. Uh, but we've now got major economic challenges enhanced by COVID and the same things that made us optimistic at the time, especially demography. And as COVID continues into the new year, how do you characterize what has happened since then? Very interesting question. And again, thank you for having me on this. Uh, it's great series. to speak to you. I would say in the last, it was seven months now since uh, yeah. COVID ravaged the world. Yes, it is. You know, um, it's, a lot has changed. You know, mm. the COVID pandemic has transformed the world as we knew it. Mm. Uh, as cases continue to surge globally, the duration of the pandemic remains unknown and the full scale of the impact uncertain. The initial predictions are that global GDP will contract significantly and yep. Sub-Saharan Africa would face its first recession in 25 years with an estimated uh, loss of about 112 billion, essentially uh, wiping out almost eight years of, of progress on the continent. Yes. So the IMF estimates that the crisis will impact Africa significantly and that the World Bank uh, also estimates that about 26 million more people in Sub-Saharan Africa will go into extreme poverty by 2020 and up to 39 million in case downside risk to this uh, growth trajectory materializes. The African mm. Union estimates that 20 million jobs may be lost in Africa due to the pandemic. And if the situation lasts, we could lose about 30% of the revenues that are currently earned by African states, mainly because of the uh, lockdown that has to be put yeah. in place to safeguard lives and livelihood. We also have predictions that 10% of the manufacturing output on the continent will be lost as a result of the pandemic. So clearly for Africa, the pandemic has amplified yeah. the development challenges currently faced by the continent. Africa's growing populations, our lack of manufacturing capacity, and our significant reliance on imports for most of the things that we need. So this pandemic has exposed other areas where there's critical need for investment, notably 
Africa's social infrastructure. I mean, this is not unique to Africa. Every, everywhere in the world, we see the need for more social infrastructure, but in Africa, it's more urgent. We also know that uh, this infrastructure deficit that we have reduces productivity by 40% and also deflates GDP growth by about 2% a year. This is the estimates that we have from the World Bank. This deficit also hinders intra- and interregional uh, trade, limits competitiveness and economic development on the continent. I'll give you some examples. Yeah. You know, Africa presently has the least regional trade in the globe, mm. presently about 17%, compared to 70% in the European Union and about 60% in Asia and over 30% in Latin America. For you to contextualize this, a company that operates in Nigeria uh, will find it far and produces, let's say, cement and clinker and that it can export to Cameroon, will find it easier to import clinker from Taiwan or China into Cameroon than it would be for it to export clinker from Nigeria into Cameroon because of a lack of infrastructure. If you wanted to export a container yeah. from the port of Alexandria in Egypt, it would take you about 12 days, cost you about $650. But if you wanted to export the same container out of Central African Republic, it's going to cost you $5,650. And it's going to take you seven that, weeks. So it's going to cost more and you take longer. That's a fantastic outline. And um, I, but I know that you are a, an optimistic man. So with AFC being iconic in Africa, could you give me some background of where you see, and I think you were just going on to say some of the, the opportunities from this challenge, and particularly for AFC? Okay, so, so really, uh, AFC is a multilateral financial institution, as you described in your opening remarks. Mm. You know, our, our mandate is really to develop and finance infrastructure, natural resource, and industrial assets. Mm. The key of uh, advantage and opportunity that this infrastructure deficit presents for AFC is that we have the opportunity to develop these projects. I mentioned that we have this huge investment requirement, but there are very few projects on the continent. Exactly. So AFC's competitive advantage is its ability to work with African states and sponsors to transform ideas into bankable projects. And that might seem like uh, an obvious thing, but it is not. You know, I'm, there's always the saying that Africa's infrastructure paradox is that they have this huge need, but there are no, pro there are no projects. So one of the things that we, we do is to ensure that we de-risk the opportunities in a okay. way that we can deploy our capital and in a way that we can distribute to other investors. I'll give you an example. So we are currently working on a wind farm in Djibouti yeah. Um, we uh, entered a partnership with the uh, state of Djibouti. They have uh, uh, an agency that we work with. Uh, we reached an agreement with them and we agreed to transform the ideas into a bankable project. Essentially, the idea is to build a 60 megawatt wind farm that would replace liquid uh, fuel power sources as well as imported fuel, sorry, imported power from Ethiopia. So we, we, we de-risked the project. We invited FMO, uh, the Dutch Development Agency, yes. as well as Climate Investor One to come in. And together we are doing the project. Part of the proceeds of our green bond will go towards financing this uh, wind farm in, in Djibouti. So uh, essentially what we do is because of our hybrid structure as a multilateral institution with substantial private sector participation, which enables us you know, to be commercially oriented, 
and to yeah. focus on outcomes, we are able to quickly develop this project. And rather than simply providing funding for projects, we look at the entire value chain and see how our ecosystem approach will de-risk the opportunity for us and other participants to participate in the project. And as CEO and president of AFC, have you seen your, I mean, I, we've all seen your, your, your green bond, which has been public, well publicized, I think. Does this indicate, I mean, have your priorities changed in the last few months? And, is, and how, how, where is your focus in these challenging times? Yes, so, you know, like as I was saying to you in the opening, in my earlier remarks, yes. you know, um, Africa must take advantage of the global supply chain yes. alignment to build regional supply chains and participate more actively in global production. You know, the COVID-19 pandemic has reignited the debate around having international production and value chains in one country. Mm. So there's emerging consensus that globalization as we know it in the past is, is going to change and that there will be more uh, supply chains, regional supply chains springing up across the globe. And we think that Africa is in a very good place for this because Africa has significant resources and it also has significant consumption because of the population uh, yes. on the continent. Yes. So it makes sense for us to look at production and we, we, we think that this is an opportunity for Africa. And we have done this in, in the past. We have worked with, uh, for example, uh, the state of Gabon to try mm -hmm. to diversify the economy away from hydrocarbons by focusing on mining and forestry. And through that, we build a special economic zone that uh, has an industrial park, uh, which uh, processes uh, wood into saw, wood into plywood, into vineyard, and several mm -hmm. other products, including furniture. So we've seen the state uh, move uh, in the value chain from just being price takers, you know, to being significant um, producers of, of vineyard, now one of the largest exporters of vineyard in the world. So Gabon now has increased its earnings from, its, from, from wood. It used to earn 30 euros per cbm of wood. Now it earns as much as 180 euros. That's six times true value addition in the economy. And it's also been able to build uh, the capacity for furniture making and has attracted, I think, up to 70 companies in the industrial park. And so there are several players now exporting uh, and processing uh, wood in, in Gabon. Uh, in some cases, they earn as much as 40,000 euros of cesium of wood. Because of the local value addition that takes place, they can distinguish the rare species of wood that has significant premium, and they can charge that premium. They have also stopped importing furniture, and they use yeah. outputs from the industrial park for their schools, for offices, for churches, and several other applications in, in the country. This uh, has created significant jobs, over 6,000 jobs directly in the industrial zone, and of course, several indirect jobs uh, as a result of this investment. You, you think that the AU's vision of a new paradigm is is realistic rather than um, rather than unrealistic, do you? Because from, from what you're saying, there's concrete examples of how this can happen. And are, are you confident that that will, that will be deliverable across Africa? Definitely. You know, Africa is home to most of the world's natural resources. Some 30% of the world's minerals are in Africa. 8% of the world's natural gas is in Africa. 12% of the world's oil reserves are in Africa. 40% of the world's goods is in Africa. 90% of its chromium and platinum is 
is in Africa. 65% of the arable land is in Africa. 10% of the internal renewable water, fresh water sources are in Africa. So I am confident that we have what it takes um, based on the example that I gave and the expansion of this example that I gave into Benin, Togo, Cote d'Ivoire, and right now with prospects in Egypt, Nigeria, and Ethiopia, clearly we can replicate this. I am confident that we're able to turn the tide. You know, most commodities in the world are, are bought, they're not sold. So that means that Africa has no bargaining power and we are really low earners and price takers. With these initiatives, we can turn the tide, increase our bargaining power, and earn more, create more jobs on the continent. More importantly, this also has climate mitigation impact. And I explained yeah. to you. So if you look at the way we trade now, uh, we would, let's say, mine uh, basic commodities, let's say manganese or crude oil, uh, and send it out for refining or send it out for, for mining, uh, sorry, for processing in Asia and the rest of the world. Now, those voyages typically would be on ships that burn either diesel or foil oil that would contribute to greenhouse gas emissions when it gets to Asia or Europe, because these are old traditional minerals and metals. They are probably being processed out of coal-fired plants, which will increase the uh, greenhouse gas emissions. But if you do that processing in Africa, you would use renewable sources like hydro, wind farms, or solar for the processing. You create jobs on the continent and you would utilize some of that continent, uh, some, some, some of the output on the continent. You would not need to re-import it and embark on another voyage with greenhouse gas emissions from Asia or Europe back to Africa. Yeah, and so, I mean, that's picking up on that because most investment now is, is based on sustainability. And uh, I heard Ellen Johnson Salif the other day re re making clear that it's a global responsibility, but focusing on the fact that Africa's historic responsibility was clearly limited. And things are different. But I've heard you talk about practical, sustainable development in the past, and that sounds like what you've just been talking about. How does that work in your view? When increasingly demands, you know, people aren't looking for pragmatics; they're looking for absolutes. How do you see that? How do you see that happening? So, I mean, this for us is, is very important. Sustainable development is at the heart of our mandate mm -hmm. in Africa. Yeah, uh, and you can know why because you know we have 1.2 billion people. Over 60 percent of them are under 25 years old, and they all need jobs. We have yeah. significant poverty on the continent, and we need to focus on how we reduce the continent. So while Africa is the least contributor to uh, greenhouse gas emissions, we are the hardest hit by the effects of climate change. Yes. The, 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 the current rising sea levels, temperatures, mm. uh, and rainfall anomalies are more evident in Africa. The frequency of floods and droughts are increasing in Africa. A third of the world's drought actually occurs in Africa. It is very important for us that we yeah. embark on climate mitigation projects. So we should be using wind farm, solar energy, and hydro uh, when we can. And we should be looking at how to uh, reduce gas flaring where, where we can. We should be looking at replacing infrastructure that leads to pollution and, and gas flaring. So we need to be focused on all of those. Yes. And we should be focused on not just uh, the, the climate side of things, but the people side of things. So if you're looking at how we create jobs, how do we reduce poverty? You know, all of these are important. 
and we have to focus on all of this. It's increasingly apparent that you know Af- Africa is going to drive things going forward in terms of demography, in terms of economy and things, in, and natural resources. But many, many people I've spoken to, and you will have spoken to yourself, and you've spoken yourself about it, have been outspoken about the fact that Africa needs to be rebranded in a way which authentically restates its investment risk and encourages people to see Africa as a place for proper investment and potential return. Do you align yourself with that? And how would you rebrand Africa if you think it needs to be done? Thank you very much for that question. I, I totally agree uh, that we, we need to do that. And for me, the way mm. to do that is just to look at the facts. You know, a yeah. lot of what is out there really is not based on fundamentals. And I'll give you some examples. So mm. there was a recent study done by Moody's and Fitch where they looked at default rates for project finance transactions uh, across the globe. And they found out that... Um, Africa is, has less than 5% of defaults, the same level as Western Europe. Most people wouldn't think that, would they? Exactly. Most lower than Asia, most lower mm. than North America, clearly most lower than Latin America. You know, and yeah. these, these are facts. And people, can, people can, can see that. Another point, reference point, is the fact that MIGA, uh, the World Bank Political Risk uh, Guarantee Agency, has been providing political risk cover across the globe. It has never paid a claim in Africa. Yeah, yeah. Yet the premiums here are, are high, you know, are higher than that of other parts uh, of the globe. Uh, and these are all facts. People like you are leading, leading people. How do you get that, that message out into the global markets? So anytime I have an opportunity, I always mention it. Yeah? I mean, <laughs> last year yeah. I was invited to the United Nations seminar. I, I mentioned that and everybody was surprised. But, but I, I, I always say so, you know, and that's why, which is why for me it's important that we yeah. kind of change yeah. the relationship that we, we have with the rest of the world based on these facts. Yeah. You know, for me, one of the things I would like to see is how we use these facts to mobilize more investments. So we have a negative yeah. low-yield environment currently in the advanced economies, you know, and we yes. have these significant opportunities on the continent you know, uh, and so I would say that instead of looking at aid to, to Africa, we should look at providing uh, insurance for investors that want to come to the continent. So if yes. you have a, a, an aid budget of, let's say, a billion dollars, consider 30 to 50% of that in providing insurance, political risk, non-payment insurance for investors from Europe, North America, Asia to come into Africa. Bearing in mind this already low default rate regime that exists. Yeah, yeah, those are pragmatic exactly. solutions to um, yes. to deliver a real result, which is which is great. And so, just as a final question, really, and because I know you're a you're an optimist, uh, where are the, the what we, you might call the shining lights in the future to allow? Because people have been talking about new paradigms, leapfrogging, and making Africa a more prominent part of global markets. How, where are the the key areas where you think? this could be done, for example, in innovation and the fourth industrial revolution? I mean, there's several areas, you know, so I will start with maybe looking at technology. Already, Africa is leading in, in that space. Mm. If you look at what, we, what has happened, you know, with um, online payments, mobile money, mobile banking, you know, Africa has clearly defined uh, a niche in that space and that there, there are several opportunities uh, that we could build on. So we have made investments in um, a fiber optic cable that comes in from uh, Europe into Africa. And we see 
that there's need to to drop that into several other West African countries. We are doing that. There is need to extend and uh, those fiber optic cables to the last mile so that we have much uh, broader and more robust internet connectivity. So digital infrastructure is an area where we think there's significant growth. And we already see interest from the likes of uh, uh, Facebook, Google in that space. And we think that that's an area that will continue to grow. Healthcare Mm -hmm. is another area where we think um, there is significant opportunity. Clearly, there's a lot of opportunity in in mining. So with the whole move towards um, climate finance, reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, uh, a more green future. This will all require uh, resources from Africa. So it would require a lot of lithium, which exists in Africa, a lot of cobalt, which exists in Africa, copper, yeah. aluminium, bauxite, all of which exists in Africa. You know, um, and also reducing the gas flaring, you know, which contributes to the greenhouse uh, to greenhouse gas emissions, would also provide opportunity for technologies that exist in, 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 in other parts of the world to be deployed in Africa. So there are significant growth opportunities and we would like to engage because we're investing in those spaces. We would like to find partners that co-invest with us. Yeah. So we think that if we just focus on the minerals that are required for the green future of the world, there are significant opportunities on the continent. Thank you for that, because I think you've given a clear, a clear outline of where, the, where we are at the moment and a, an even clearer view of an optimistic way forward. So, Someli Zubaro, President and CEO of the Africa Finance Corporation, thank you so much for being part of this discussion. Thank you for having me.